Anybody read the text already this morning? Have you guys, are you guys reading ahead? I keep telling you, you might as well do that, and then that way you, you guys don't have to be surprised if you get here and you don't like it. Because uh, <laughs> there's really no excuse to show up if you don't want to hear what's in there. Um, this morning we're, we're continuing our rapid pace through Mark uh, chapter 1. I don't know how long we've been on this uh, journey. I haven't actually kept track of the numbers, but somebody could probably tell me. Uh, but today I believe we're, we're looking at uh, the authority of Jesus. It's interesting in the text this morning that they actually reference uh, that he had authority as one who has authority. They mentioned that twice in the text. And I was thinking through authority. I don't know how many of you guys are, how many of you are good with authority? <laughs> Thank you. That is a great definition. How many of you are good with having authority? How many of you are good at being under authority? Uh, how many of you even, we, we just flat don't like that word, I think. Um, uh, th- if we think about what that means and, and how it impacts our life, uh, I, I was thinking through the whole process going, you know, I, I wonder if we're worse at, at dealing with or appreciating authority than the people back at, 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 uh, at, during Mark's time when he was writing the text. And my guess is that they weren't big fans of authority either, being under the Roman rule at the time, right? Wouldn't you think that that the people that were becoming Christians and being persecuted for their faith weren't big fans of authority? No? You guys think they were okay with that? I think the human heart struggles with this issue. If we watch anything through the history of Scripture, you will see that the human heart struggles with the authority of God and the authority that is in our culture. Um, I, I love parenting. Uh, parenting is one of the great gifts that God's given us, right? Because when you tell your children to do things, they do it without complaint, arguing, griping, discontent, or anything, correct? I mean, it's, it's in the heart of the child to be compliant to God's will. And, and yet, that's who we come from. And, and then we get to look at our children and go, wait, why are they so much like us? When we think of authority, it... it, it it makes a difference in how we view God. The definition, I, I pulled this out of just a, a regular dictionary. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. That's wonderful. Right? When we think about how Jesus exercises authority, it's, it's oftentimes so much different than human authority. Um, which at one level should make it easier for us to accept and to surrender to. Uh, Let's read the text this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 is where we're going to pick up. And I apologize. uh, You guys know I'm having glass issues, right? Uh, A couple weeks ago, you saw the broken one, and I've been doing some things. I forgot my glasses this morning, so they didn't get here until 9-something. And and so... um, I threw some of my notes together this morning and made a few adjustments without my glasses. So it's entirely possible I put something down wrong. So if, if I stop at a moment and recalibrate, you'll know why. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, everywhere throughout all surrounding regions, the region of Galilee. It's interesting, and I believe that if you look at the in the text, that the new teaching that he would have, I would encourage you to read Matthew's Matthew chapter five through seven, and the new teaching that Jesus brought with authority is this. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount, when he starts taking the law and he starts teaching people, the, the believers at the time, how they're supposed to live within that context of the law. Now, we're not going to look at that today, partly because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to take any more time to read through a whole bunch of that text. But we know several of those passages. They're, they're some of our favorites, right? If you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. We love those passages. They're, they're, so, they're so simple to address in our lives, aren't they? I mean, if you're having a heart issue, you're, you're guilty of the physical issue. That's wonderful. And then he wraps the whole, the whole sermon up. He says, therefore, be perfect as, my, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Woohoo! That's a difficult teaching. And yet, what the people noticed as he taught it was that he taught it as one who had authority, not as one of the scribes. He would be teaching it not as I teach it. He would teach it from a different perspective, a different place. And my guess is it's because he wrote it, right? It's who he is. It's the character. It's his word. And he knows those things. Uh, Matthew uh, records the same, the same account, but it's interesting. He doesn't give us, he doesn't give us the demonic uh, the activity of the unclean spirit. In Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 28-29 Matthew says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And that's the end of that Matthew chapter 7. So again, if you go back and you read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, you will see what these people were amazed at and, and the point of authority that he brings to the text. So Jesus is teaching as one with authority, not as the human scribes, and he's giving them this new teaching that is transforming their thought process. It's amazing them. And right in the midst of this, an a man with an unclean spirit stands up and says, whoa, what are you doing? thought to myself, uh, how is he comfortable in the church service up to that point? Right? I had, uh, I had uh, well, I don't know if I should confess this or not. I'm a little bit of a, I have issues. And I was preaching this one time. Uh, this was years, years back. And we had a guest in our church and um, had never met him before. It was the first time. And we were in a church. Now, you have to understand, we're in a church that went back probably to the fifth row. 
So back where Lee and Jacob are sitting, right, right there, the calls, that would be the back of our church, okay? So I'm standing against the wall on this side. That's the back wall of the church, and we have 35 people stuffed into these little chairs, and this visitor comes. So I noticed him. It's much easier to do. And every time, it, it was the craziest thing. Every time I said the Lord God, he would, like, convulse. Now, in most scenarios, you'd leave that alone, but I couldn't. So I was in the thought process of let's figure out if this is real or not. So I added the Lord God into several other spots throughout the sermon that morning just to make sure that I was interpreting what was happening right. Now, I got to tell you, the whole spiritual warfare thing, and we're not going to address that specifically today because I believe what Mark's trying to get us to see is the authority of Christ. We're gonna, we'll talk about spiritual warfare more. There's more coming in that area. But God put me on a journey through that time in Aeneas Valley that really opened my eyes to the spiritual warfare that happens in our midst, in our culture. And it's real. And so I don't want to, we're not, we're not dismissing that or we're not diminishing the value or the need to address that this morning. But I do want you to be aware that um, it's amazing that this is happening. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he addresses a lot of the, the unclean spirits, a lot of demonic activity. In fact, uh, the point two, Jesus has authority over unclean spirits. The people of that time recognized his authority. They went, wow. He speaks to them and they leave. Now, I want to show you, uh, we're, going to, we're going to look at a couple of texts just to help us comprehend the importance of this uh, truth and, and what, what was happening at the time. If you turn to Acts chapter 19, uh, we're, going to, we're going to check out a story uh, about some young men who did not know Jesus and thought that they would just use Paul's Jesus to cast out some demons. It's a, it's kind of a, it's not a good story, but it's, it's an informational one. Uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the Intinerant Jews, uh, Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jewish, uh, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to, came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. Do you see what happened? Uh, just, you know, in, in any conflict that you have, um, 
And especially, I, I, I just love the fact that in the midst of this, these boys, and I, I don't think that they were trying to do anything specifically uh, um, terrible in this, but they address this man with a demon, and he, he, the demon actually says, uh, I know Jesus, heard of Paul, so obviously whatever's happening in the spiritual realm of things, uh, the word's getting out, watch out for Paul, because he's connected to Jesus and there's trouble. But then he says, who are you? I don't know you guys. I have no reason to respect you at all. And he whoops them and sends them out of the house. That's a pretty significant interaction right there. What's the power? What's, what's the process in, the, in this scope? It's the authority of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It is, it is him who the, the demonic world, the, the evil spirits or unclean spirits recognize. And even under that, these these unclean spirits come under the authority of Jesus. When Jesus shows up and he gives them directives, they move. Another passage, uh, it, the amazement of the people. Not, not only were people amazed, but some people were really upset about this. And we see that in Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 6 through 9. Um, and again, this is focusing on the authority of Christ. But it's interesting that as Paul and Silas are doing their, their ministry, uh, we have an interaction here where authorities are looking for Paul and they, they, they find the person that was keeping uh, Paul there and uh, that was hosting him and, and they take him to court. But what's interesting is, is what the issue that they were having with Paul and, and his teaching. What was, what was the issue? Look at 17, 6 through 9 of Acts 17. And when they could not find them, that's Paul and Silas, the the authorities are coming to to find them. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers from the uh, before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decree of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Did you see what he said about what was happening? Here's Paul teaching about Jesus as king and and the authority. They're saying they've turned the whole world over. Did you see that? They've upset the whole world as they know it, this teaching about who Jesus is and his authority as king. I can imagine why that would bother some people, right? Caesar was pretty proud of his authority, right? Yes, he he was. If you didn't agree with him, he would show you. It, It was a pretty big thing in the Roman times to treat Caesar like a god, as if he had authority. Absolutely. And yet here, the amazement, I, I, I'm, I'm astonished, and I, I love the fact that their assessment of this is that this teaching that's turned the whole world over has been brought to their town, and they're worried about it. And they, they are actually concerned about it to the point where they, I guess they find him. I guess they find the guy that owned the house and, and hosted them, took some money from him and sent him on their way. King. There's another king in town, and, and, and it's Jesus. We see in another aspect of 
the, the authority of Jesus. Um, he's not just king. Again, we, we've been watching this happen, but he's not just king uh, over the, 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 the physical things, but also the spiritual. Look at in James chapter 2. Awesome. I put my uh, James reference in Romans. That was the glasses, pretty sure. James chapter 2, 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works, but show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe uh, and they shudder. I was wrestling this morning with this whole idea and this challenge that we run into as we start seeing the authority of Jesus and we start, and we're going to read a couple other texts that I think really create a, a challenge for us this morning. Um, but this idea of of fearing God, but coming to Jesus, recognizing his authority. Even the demons shudder uh, because they understand the authority of God. They recognize it. They still rebel. They're still in opposition to God, but they shudder because they they understand, they see, they know his authority. And so I, I'm wrestling with that in my own heart going, but God, I, I don't I don't respond this way to you. But when I think about um, we'll, we'll read the passage here in just a second, but when I think about some of the passages that, that tell us that those who love God will obey Him, will, will, will live by His commands, will keep those things, I find myself struggling in that because my flesh does not always respond the way that my heart would or my mind would. I can sympathize with Devin this morning as he says, I feel weak in my flesh because I'm in the midst of a battle again. And I love what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7, 14 through 25. And I think this describes for each of us the truth of who we are, what we each wrestle with. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So no longer it is so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my innermost being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. As we as we think about how we respond to the authority of Jesus, as we think about how the, the unclean spirit responded and the people are responding, the, the people in Mark's the, the, at this time that Mark is writing to, they're responding, or the story he's telling about when Jesus is preaching, is they're responding to in awe to this new teaching that comes with authority. They haven't seen this before. They're amazed. And then the unclean spirit responds to the authority of Jesus. He commands them to leave, and he does. And their response to him, at that time, they begin to follow. Many follow. And, and in fact, we'll, we'll see it as we go through the text. There'll be a point where many of them are following him, and he, and he turns them away because their hearts aren't following him. They're, they're not there for the right reason. Um, Gary mentioned it this morning. that we I believe it was Gary. that, that Maybe it wasn't. Now I'm getting my name, so I'm not going to say who. I don't know. Somebody mentioned it in our prayer time this morning that many of the disciples left. That... The 12 were left, and Jesus turned and said, what about you? And they said, where else could we go? Who else could we turn to? Uh, what, what is our response to Jesus? What is our response to this truth of who God is? Paul, I, I love how Paul says this because he describes for you and for me the battle between the, our flesh and our minds, what we want to do, what we, what we have in our heads to do in following and living obedience to Christ, and yet where our flesh wages war against that truth. Anybody else in that battle? Anybody? Are you guys with me in that? Because when, when he says, wretched man that I am, when we talk about feeling that, that pressure of defeat, I feel it. It drives me nuts. There's things that, that I know I shouldn't do. And you guys, I use the road. I use that because I know it's safe. You, you guys aren't going to fire me if I, if I tell you about fleshly anger moments on the road, right? So it's safe for us to talk about these things because we're all connected. Um, and so we talk about those, and, and they're great. They're great examples. I don't know how many of you lose your temper driving your car. It happens all the time. Don't, you don't have to raise your hands. I don't, wanna, I don't want any of you to feel extra conviction this morning. Um, but, but I got to tell you, I, um, You would think that I'd be much better at this now because we've been talking. How long have we been talking about this? For almost a year? And that wasn't when this started for me. I'm driving to the airport to pick up my bride last Friday night. Anybody remember the, the snow episode Friday night where it turned to freezing rain and, you know, 90 were doing, uh, some of us were doing a reasonable speed of 35, between 35 and 50, depending on what part of the freeway it was. And then there was other people driving by me, just, at, you know, flying by me like I was sitting still. And I have to confess, I have an evil heart. Because when I got down to the big corner sweep down there that, on 90 that goes right before you get to Division in, in Highway 2, and I saw a little four-wheel drive Subaru launched about 30 feet up into the snow that had misjudged that corner and just ramped, I celebrated in my heart that is horrible. Nobody was hurt. The, I, I, there was, I mean, everything was fine. But in my heart, I had a moment where I'm like, yes, that's what you get. We're driving that fast, you jerk. That's what went through my heart. Now, that's horrible. And I know none of you would do that. 
And that's a really safe thing to talk about. But the reality is, is that as much as we want to follow Jesus, as much as we want to live in obedience to him, we are in this battle that Paul references for you and for me. Our flesh wages war against that truth. And we live in the midst of that. I think one of the key things that we have to recognize, and we're going to learn something from an unclean spirit this morning. What they said in Acts to the Sceva brothers is, we recognize Jesus. Did you, we got to hang on. You got to catch that. They recognized Jesus. They would have responded to the authority of Jesus. They may have had a discussion with Paul, but the demon would have responded. The unclean spirit would have responded to Jesus. And I think part of what would be helpful for us is for us to have a reminder, a a point of view that brings us to a point where we recognize who Jesus is. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. I know we read these passages, but there's times we need to go back and reread them and reread them so that we can get it in our heads who he is and be reminded who he is. My, My struggle isn't that I don't think about him the right way. It's that in those moments where my flesh is waging, I forget about these truths. Um, one of the one of the convictions that I have in my own heart is not doing a lot of memory, uh, memorizing verses. I have key passages that I love, and and I keep them close, and I can quote them. But adding to that would would be of great benefit to me. Um, which it's a challenge. I I, I honestly struggle to remember all of y'all's names, and I'm working on it. But I don't keep all that that kind of information gets away from me. Um, so don't take it personal if I call you Ed or something. It, it's not unless it's, yeah, Ed, you'll be all right with that. <laughs> Please be offended if I don't. No, wait, that's not going to work. But let's look at who... Jesus is, and, and again, this is one, one passage, there's others that we could grab, but how John describes him, I think, would help us as we, as we think about what it means to, to have a right view of his authority, to recognize him for who he is. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's who Jesus is for you and for me. He was with God in the beginning. He is God in the beginning. Everything that was made was made through him. Nothing was made on this earth without Jesus having his hand in it. Nothing was made without him. And his light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. What an amazing truth about who he is. And then we end with the most challenging passage for me. And it reminds us of this this conflict, this battle, 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, 
and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And there lies the challenge, right? We know that truth. We have his word. And Paul says that we're just wretched. We're in this horrible battle. In our heads, we know we want to follow Jesus. In our minds, we know we know. We believe that this is true, and by faith, we're trusting that God is working out all of the details, all of the the wretchedness, all of the wrinkles in our lives. And amazingly enough, God loves us enough to say, let me let let you work on this one a little bit more. And in our economy, that's not gracious, is it? Right? Right? I mean, if we, if we told God how he should do it, what would we tell him? Make my life easy, comfortable, and safe. Because somehow in our, in our minds, we think, God, if life was a little bit easier, I could trust you more. If, if, life was, if I didn't have as much to worry about in my finances or in my physical issues, I could by faith walk with you more. If I had all of these things, I could be more like you. And yet God the Father says, Trust me and follow my son. I'm going to lead this process. And where does he lead us? Yeah. So often he leads us right back to Jesus' suffering, doesn't he? So what do we do with this? Should we just throw up our hands and quit? I mean, you're going to fail at some point this next week, right? Oh, did you guys not know that? I'm, if, I'm, if I let the cat out of the bag early, I'm really sorry. There's a really good chance that we're going to blow it this next week. I have to drive on the road at least once every day. I have an opportunity to blow it at least once every day. Man, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't quit. I think that's probably what the enemy would want the most from us. Is to just say, you know, we're just not making it, God. I feel like I'm failing. I feel like this issue is beating me. I want to encourage you not to quit. You know, the song that we sang um, that we're going to arrive safely at home. That wasn't, that wasn't seven uh, or uh, 704 North or South Gary Road. That wasn't this address. It wasn't, it wasn't my address over in Vincent. That's not the home that we were singing about. Safely arriving at home in the presence of our God, has, it's totally different. It has more to do with what God takes us through here and as he's preparing our soul for that point in eternity. He's got a plan and a purpose, and he's accomplishing it in years of my life. I'm convinced of this. He's accomplishing it now in yours and my life. 
that, that there's improvement that's happening. It's sometimes hard for us to see. I don't know how many of you have ever noticed, but it, like if, if somebody that you know goes away for a long time and comes back, especially if they're your children, you almost leave them at the airport because you don't recognize them. You're like, that can't be my son. Right? I almost did that. I was teasing my bride, but I'm like, don't pick him up. That can't be our kid. It was a joke. But the reality is, is that as we sometimes it's hard for us to see the growth that's happening up close and personal, right? We don't notice those changes. That's why we have scales. Sorry. It's true. We wouldn't notice one pound at a time unless somebody put it on a digital readout. That's why we have clocks. That's why we we do all the things that we do because the reality is is that we don't see changes that are happening when they're up close to us. You know, that's one of the reasons I think God gives us a body to learn with. That's one of the reasons that, that we have the privilege of walking with our brothers and sisters who are dealing with cancer. Devin and Kay, and and there's probably many others who have fought that battle that we may or may not know about right here in our own midst. There's a reason that we get to walk with those people through those things. It's because as we do that, we're reminded of our frailty. We get to encourage and support one another, and it helps us turn our attention back to God. That's the purpose of the body. That's the gift that God gives us as a church body. So what does that mean? We're not going to give up, right? Part of this is we got to get our eyes back on who Jesus is. We got to be reminded of who he is and be in the word and, and be challenged by these truths. I, I want to encourage you. I, I don't know how many of you are reading your Bibles every day. And don't raise your hands because I don't want any extra conviction. You know, one of the great challenges for me as a pastor, uh, I'm, 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 this, is, this is open confession, and then I'm going to, I got to stop doing this. this. is getting uncomfortable for me up here. One of the challenges for me is that I read this, I study this for a sermon regularly. M- most days I'm, I'm in the text that I'm working through, right? Do you know what that can do for me from time to time? I can become very, very narrow-sighted at where, where all I'm looking at is one text and, and I'm not doing what I need to be doing and reading a broader scope of the text where I'm growing, I'm learning on my, for my own health and my own purposes. So when I ask you if you're reading the Bible every day, I don't count my sermon study time. When, I, when I'm confessing to you that I'm not in the Word regularly every day, it's not because I'm not in the Bible. It's because I'm not at times setting aside my own personal quiet time in the morning or in the evening or something where it's just me and the Lord, and I'm not preparing a sermon so that I'm being reminded of who he was in the Old Testament, who he is today, who he is in the New Testament, who he is in the Psalms and Proverbs and the prophets of of the Scripture. So we see a broad, full picture of who our Lord and Savior is. That's the challenge for me. I can get really distracted. I know you guys are so focused. You guys don't have any issues with distraction, being busy in life. You guys probably have set times where you get up and read with your spouses. And, and if you don't have spouses, you probably have double length times with Jesus, right? You guys are just, you're not, you're not communicating with me that that's, that's the case. I'm not, I'm not getting that sense. My, my 
my challenge is the conviction of my heart. If we want to have a right view of who Jesus is, if we want to understand his authority, then we need to engage in a relationship to know him. I'm going to add one passage. I didn't have it in my text, and then I really am done, Jacob. I promise. I can find it with my... Scribble in your... or Run into your Bibles in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This one's extra credit, so... Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Us having a good religious experience or, or, or faithfully attending church or doing any of these, any of the things that are good for us to do, they don't result in a relationship with the Lord all on their own. We need to be in the Word. We need to pursue and be in a relationship with Jesus. And, and I got to be honest with you, that verse causes me at times to tremble. To say, God, I want to know you. There are times I don't feel like I know him, but I desperately want to. Would you join me on the battle? Would you join me in this pursuit to recognize that our flesh wars against our spirits, our minds to follow Christ, that we're engaged in that battle? That every day, the, the fun part is I didn't read 1 John. 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, right? Amen? So we know what we get to do when we see that we're not on course, when we see that those moments that our flesh has taken over, we can go and confess and we can make that right and we can return to that relationship. Would you join me in that? We're in this battle together. That's part of being the family. But the truth is that it is a battle. And I wish I could tell you that at 45, it was done. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, you're good. But I have a feeling he intends us to fight this battle all the way until we see him face to face. Father, thank you that you are gracious. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that in the midst of this battle, we have our Lord Jesus. That in the name of Jesus, unclean spirits would surrender to his authority. In the name of Jesus, the world as it was known in Paul, Paul's day was turned overturned completely to the point where Caesar was concerned. He became, he became worried about another king. Oh Lord, that our hearts would be transformed in how we see and think of who you are. That as we engage this battle, God, you would lead us, you would transform our hearts, you would convict our souls, our, our hearts when we're in sin, when we have wrong thinking, that you would convict us of those things, and that we would turn to you by faith. 
that we would walk with you by faith. That we would care for one another and carry one another's burdens by faith in you, Lord Jesus. May you do the work in our hearts that as we change on the inside, Father, you would use us to reflect your glory on the outside. To God be the glory forever and ever. All God's people said,